0: All right, church, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, no worries. Uh, There's one underneath your seat. You can grab that. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take that home uh, with you. That's our gift to you, and the words will also uh, be on the screen uh, for us as we go along. So as you're turning there, let me just say uh, I'm excited to preach um, this morning of this text because it's been stepping on uh, my toes, if you will, that my spiritual toes, uh, all week as I've been preparing for this. It's a heavy word. Uh, it's a convicting word. It, in many ways, it kind of rubs against um, some of maybe our practices and the way that we live our lives. But let me just invite you, as we get stepped on by the word of God this morning a little bit, that we don't just stay there. That the conviction would lead us to joy. That we would hear the lean into the uncomfortableness and lean into the conviction and say, God. What do I need to change, and how are you speaking to me today? So uh, again, do not harden uh, your hearts, and I'm really excited to preach too because it's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. I uh, spent last week to a missions conference here and preaching for like two days straight. I'm pumped up, all right? So put your seatbelt on. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. You say, well, how's that different than any other week? You always ramble and talk too fast. So I know. I'm sorry. Uh, but with that being said, let's jump in uh, to God's Word. I'm really uh, hopeful for what He wants to say uh, to us today, okay? But Second Kings chapter 22, before we read uh, verse 1, let me set up the context a little bit of where we've been. So if you're a guest with us, we've been preaching through the Bible this year. Uh, we read a portion of the scripture throughout the week. And then as we come in on our weekend gatherings, we're preaching from a portion of that scripture. And so last week we read, uh, we, last Sunday we talked about Hezekiah, right? King Hezekiah. He was a faithful king and God spared Judah, the southern kingdom, from the invading Assyrian army. Okay, so this is way back when, thousands of years ago. And because Hezekiah trusted the Lord, God spared them. God spared the people uh, of Judah. But we see even Hezekiah toward the end of his life, that even he turns and becomes prideful and arrogant. So Hezekiah is not the hope for the people of Judah. But we see a a glimmer of faithfulness in this man. But then his... Some of his offspring. We see two kings last week. We read uh, two guys by the name of Manasseh, followed by his son Amon, or Amon, or however you say his name. Um, Wicked, wicked kings. Some of the most wicked kings that have ever existed in the history uh, of Judah. And so wicked that God says because of Manasseh's rebellion and all the idolatry that he built up, they completely reversed all of the progress that was being made by the good king Hezekiah. So there's in, in just steeped in idolatry, the people of Judah are going farther and farther and farther away from God. And God has promised that he's going to go in and he's going to judge. He's going to judge his people. Just like we saw the northern kingdom of Israel about a month ago, we saw that they were judged by the Assyrian army. And so that's where we pick up reading. But this morning we're introduced to a good king, uh, maybe one of the best kings since King David, uh, King Josiah. King Josiah. So let's read about him. He's a godly king. Let's read about that. In 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Again, the words will be on the screen. Josiah was eight years old. Eight years old when he began to reign. I mean, did that freak you out, okay? Uh, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of uh, Adida of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked... In all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So, just very brief, we see that Josiah is a good king. He's doing what kings were supposed to do. Remember, God is their king, but these earthly kings are ruling uh, to, in, in, instead of God for the people, a tangible expression of the rule of God. And, and Josiah is doing so in a way that gives God glory and honor. Let's keep reading in verse 3. We're going to see that Josiah repairs the temple. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam. I wish they had like, names like Bob and George. Um, the secretary, make my job a lot easier. The secretary to the house of the Lord saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. So get this, Josiah is organizing a group of workmen, uh, collections are being made through all the tribes of Judah to repair the temple. The temple is the building where the glory of God is on display, where they worship God, and it's been torn down because of all the evil in the world. And so he's saying, we're going to go in and repair this temple. Okay, so it's a construction project, a HGTV, if you will, of Judah. Okay, they're going in and renovating the temple. Uh, so let's notice, while the, temp, while the workers, get this, get this picture, while they're out working, restoring the temple, they make a discovery. We're going to read that in verse 8. They make a discovery. They're going to discover the book of the law. Let's read with me in verse 8 and 10. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the high priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. You just get this picture. Uh, many believe that this word of the Lord, this book of the law, uh, maybe the book of Deuteronomy, written by Moses, maybe it's segments of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, regardless of, of exactly the, the text that it is, we know it's the word of God. It's, it's What we would know now is the Bible. And so get this picture, these people in the the place of worship that the book of the law had been misplaced. And so we were over here uh, yesterday, some of us, some of our team, cleaning out this back room um, and made some weird discoveries, didn't we, Jeremy, wherever you are? Uh, We made some weird discoveries in the room back there that was tucked away. It was just a mess in that back room. Uh, It was as if we were here in, in the temple, if you will, cleaning out the space, and we find this book of the bible we had no idea that this existed Uh, picture that picture that that the word of god had been misplaced and lost and maybe that's why by the way the people of judah were rebellious the king was not walking in accordance with the revealed word of god and they make this discovery as they're cleaning out the house of god of the word of god and what i want us to do for the next few minutes is just look at the response that king josiah had when they discovered what god's word said so this word that had been hidden from them throughout generations that we'll see is now being read before the king. First time hearing the Bible. Notice his response. There's four of them. His first response. Josiah repents. He repents. Now listen, I know we're in church. He was there, "That's a really churchy word. What does that mean? He repents. I mean, I've heard like the street preacher, right, with the placard saying repent. Like, what does that mean that, that Josiah repented? Well, repentance has this idea, I can't spend much time here, but it's a change of mind. That when you see that you're thinking the wrong way about God, about yourself, about your sin, about the world around you, that you have a change of mind. And that change of mind gets down past your head, and it gets down into your soul. All that you are. And you say, I've been thinking wrong thoughts about my sin, about God, about what life is all about, and I've been going the wrong way. And it it gets down to the point of of conviction he said, I've sinned against God. And so it's a change of mind that results in a change of heart of what we love and what we hate. We say, I've been loving the wrong things. I've been looking to the wrong things to fulfill me. And I, I understand I'm hearing the word of God and it's changing what I'm thinking about and it changes what I feel and what I love and what I hate. And that, both of that transformation changes the way I live my life. It's a change of mind and a change of heart that results in a change of direction. So let's be clear. It's as if I'm walking away from God and God in His grace confronts me in my sin. And I change my mind about that sin. I don't just try to manage it anymore. I don't try to excuse it anymore. But I turn from that sin and I begin to pursue God. That's what's happening to King Josiah when later to the people of Israel, he repents. Notice uh, what it looks like to repent for King Josiah in 2 Kings 22 verse 11. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This picture of just, we are undone. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, saying, Go inquire the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. What's it say? How are we missing it? Tell me, go, go figure it out. We can't keep living the way we were living. We've experienced the word of God. We can't keep going the way we were going. Go inquire of the Lord. For great, notice, is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Notice he doesn't say, I can't believe God's wrathful. He needs to just kind of get over it and b- wipe our sin under the rug. No, no, when he get, experiences the word of God, God's wrath is just. He says, I know this is why God is angry at us, and he's going to punish us. So figure out what this word says and figure out what we've got to do. Because I need to know this God. It shed light on Josiah's condition and the people of Judah. So listen, I, I wish I could camp more here. But the Bible says this, that men and women love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil meaning we would rather live outside of the word of god not coming to sit under the authority of god's word on a sunday or in a community or to pursue god in, in his word throughout the week we don't want the light to shine in to what's going on inside of us we would rather stay in the darkness the bible says that about all of uh, about the human heart that we have a certain resistance toward the bible and maybe it's, I want to present to you humbly that maybe it's because not because the Bible is archaic and it's outdated or there's a bunch of rules that just stifle our joy. No, no, God's after your joy. But we hate the light of God's word because it confronts the darkness of our soul. And we don't want to repent. We don't want to, to see the wrath of God. And so look, Josiah sees this, and his response is clear. And God honors Josiah's repentance. He honors it. Let's read in verse 18. It says, But the, to the king of Judah, God's saying, Who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Listen, because your heart was pennant, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. Not arrogantly saying, God, I'm going to live however I want to, but you have spoken to me, and you revealed your will for me, and I humbled myself before you. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. You have torn your clothes and you have wept before me. Listen, when's the last time you wept over your sin? Broken hearted that you have sinned against a holy God. Notice God's response to this repentant heart. You might think that he's just ready to zap you with a lightning bolt, right? Or say, get out of my face. You, you're just, you're just, you disgust me. That's not what God says. As he repents before the Lord, notice what God says. I also have heard you. I've heard you. That it's his, God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That he wants to restore us. If we will confess our sins, the Bible says, he is what? faithful and he's just to cleanse us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that is god's heart for you it's his delight to forgive you but you've got to come humbly you have to repent before the lord as you're exposed your sin is exposed and the word of god shines um, on you verse 29 says therefore behold i will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word um, to the king. And I won't read the next portion, but 25 through 27, what we see is just because God, listen, hang with me, is okay with a, a Josiah's repentance. He said, I will restore you. He still says in verse 26 that still the Lord did not turn away from his burning anger and wrath for the people of Judah. So Josiah is causing reform and saying, God, we are going to change our ways. And God says, I hear you, and I'll restore you, but I'm still going to destroy the people of Judah. Because of their, their continued wickedness, they've been so hard-hearted, and my glory is at stake, and I must punish their sin. And so he promises Josiah, you will die before, the, before the, the enemy comes and takes you captive. But you're not going to see it because of your heart before the Lord. But, but they're still going um, to be destroyed. So here, here's a principle that I hope, want us to wrap our minds around for us today. Josiah knows that Judah will still be destroyed. His people, the people he's king over, they're going to be wiped out by God's wrath. He knows that's still going to happen, yet we're going to see that he will continue to obey God's word. Not because of what they will get out of it. Destruction is still coming later in another generation, but he's going to obey simply because it is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And this confronts us a little bit, doesn't it? Is obedience to God enough for us? say, I'm obeying God because He's useful for me. Like, okay, I'll do this whole church thing. I'll come to church. I'll do this thing because I want to get God's stuff. I want Him to bless me. I want Him to make me happy. I want Him to get me out of all the situations that I'm in. And I come to God to get things from Him. But no, no. sometimes what God is saying to us, no, no, will you trust me even if there's nothing in it for you from your perspective? Let's be clear. There is joy in following God constant joy but it might not turn out the way you think it will and he said he said we're still going to do all of the work even if the outcome is going to be the same because we believe that god has spoken and regardless of what god chooses to do in our midst we are going to be faithful to obey and that rubs me a little bit that that's hard for me i don't know if that's hard for you but is obedience enough faithfulness so Josiah repented, repent and notice the second response Josiah calls Judah to renew their covenant with God. Let's read in verse 1 of chapter 23. Then the king sent and all the elders of Judah in Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. So everybody that can. Notice the word all there. and Notice what he does when they're all gathered together. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that has been found in the house of the Lord. He reads the Bible. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Notice, with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and notice, all the people join in the covenant. See, I love Josiah's response. He's repenting before the Lord. God, we've messed this up. But he says, it's not enough for me to know that. I'm going to get everybody that I can, all the people that I'm called to lead, and get them in a room, and we're going to read this book. And whatever it says, we're going to do it. And so you say, it's just me and Jesus, you know, like I got my, t- my time with the Lord. I don't need the church. I don't need people around me I, because I can have a relationship with God on my own. And we say to that, yes, you can. You have a direct access. You don't need me as the pastor. You don't need other people to have access into God's presence because Jesus is your access into God's presence. But you were never meant to live life on your own. God did not just save you. He saved, he saved to form a people, a church. And then you see this idea of the word in community. It wasn't just Josiah and his king's chambers reading this book. He said, no, 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 this has implications for the community collective and for the world. We're going to hold the word of God in high standard. You say, do we really have to gather like this on a Sunday morning? You know, I could be sleeping, I could be on the lake, I could be doing a lot of things this morning and hearing you ramble about the Bible. I said, so why are we here? Because we believe there's power when God's people gather together under the authority of this book. And we have a deep conviction to preach through the Bible. And I pray that if I ever, listen, if I ever stand on this stage and preach my opinions over this book, kick me off the stage and get somebody up here who will preach you the Bible. Because my conviction is, is to preach this word. I have a, it's the authority of God. I have no authority. We're convinced that God has spoken. We're convinced God has spoken. And he does so in community. But listen, notice in verse 3. What he does, he makes his covenant before the Lord. It was a life spent with God. Notice he says, we will walk after the Lord. That word walk is a continual progression. That we're going to live our lives to be with God. This word is spoken, so we're going to change everything. And it's obedience to everything that he said. So listen, you can't say you have a relationship with God that we're walking after the Lord, but say I have no place for the commandments of God. Just as much as I can't say I'm married to my wife but I'm just going to go live however I want to live and have however many women that I want to have, you would say, man, that marriage is pretty jacked up. That's not how marriage is supposed to work. We used that illustration before that I'm in a covenant with that woman. It changes the way I live my life. So if we're saying we have a relationship with God, it changes the way we see the things that he's told us to do. And it's not just a checklist that he gives us. It's saying this is what life looks like with me. Keep my commandments. Keep them, guard them, do them, obey them. But notice he says, not just a relationship with God by doing what he says, not doing what he tells us not to do, but it says with all of his heart, all of his soul. So the way that we obey is just as important to God than that we obey. He's not just after your mechanical, robotic obedience. He's after your heart. He's after your whole self. Surrender to him. Want to know God, but we can't just know God however we want to. We have to keep His commandments and observe them in His Word. But that that Word can change us from the inside out. So, mean hear me. I'm not saying do more, try harder. How many times have you heard that in the church? You need to do more for God. You need to stop doing all the bad stuff and start doing all the good stuff. And make no mistake, it does matter how we live. And we are called to, to repent and change. But first, there must be a heart level transformation. Must change us down deep. And you can't change your heart. You can change your behavior for a little while, maybe, but you can't change your heart. That's a supernatural thing that has to happen as we surrender ourselves to God. So Josiah sees this. He repents. He renews his covenant and the covenant of the people of Israel to God. Notice the third response. We'll go through these next two very quickly. Josiah destroys Judah's false worship. I won't read it for the sake of time, but you can read it this afternoon. Chapter 23, verses 4 through 20, basically just a list of all the things that Josiah does. He says, in light of this word, we're tearing down all the altars of the false gods. We're going into all these false temples and just burning them down, even to the point where they're killing all the false prophets as a testimony to the seriousness of sin. He's tearing down all of the things that are keeping them, listen, from God. That's the the nature of it. So he's taking all the measures, but here's the reason behind this. Verse 24, throw that up on the screen, the last part of that. Here's the reason why he was tearing down all these false gods. That he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He was changing everything that was necessary because it was flowing from what he saw in the word. Here's the last response. Josiah restores the Passover. Verse 21, and The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. or during all the days of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. So you say, Derek, what's the Passover? What's he restoring? What does that mean? The Passover goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. You remember that? Where God says, judgment's coming. Listen, hang with me, if you will put the blood of an innocent substitute over the doorpost, I'm going to come in and wipe out the firstborn of those who will not put faith. But if you will, by faith, trust in the substitute that I have provided, I will pass over you. I will not destroy you, but instead I will show you grace. It's a picture of the gospel, of salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That the only way we can be passed over from the wrath of God is to be in the the blood of the Lamb of God by faith. It's this picture of that. That's the Passover. And then there was a meal instituted that said, listen, we're going to throughout the the rest of the generations as a people to remember, to have a meal once a year, to remember that God did that for us. We're going to remind the next generation, listen, the next generation is going to sit around this table and ask questions to the, to the head of the household. God, see, who was God? How did he deliver us from the hands of the Egyptians? What did God do? Remind me, listen, of the faithfulness of God throughout the generations. That's what the Passover was. It was a picture that unless you have faith alone and grace alone through the provision of God alone and the faithfulness of God, we have no hope. And it was this picture of remembering The the character and the work of God among his people. And they had abandoned it for generations. They had not been having this meal. And Josiah says, man, the book says to remember the Passover, and we're going to remember the Passover. And he restores uh, the Passover to that generation. All right. I was trying to get through that because I want to get to this stuff here. What does that mean for us? You see that this was an account that happened way back when, right? And it was something that happened in Israel's history. Listen, God's moving all of these things around for the Messiah to come. This matters in the, in the arc of the story as we read the story of God. But what does it mean for me? What does it mean for your family? What does it mean for this church? What, what, what's the principles that we can pull out? So here's uh, what I want us to wrestle with, this idea. And I know the step's on toes, but hear this out. Of a heart of love for all of us in this room. God's word is not an optional addition to our lives. It is our life. You see what the word of God and the power of the word in a people, the re- reactions that happen in, in old ancient Judah, okay? but l- let's get into the 21st century in 2015. God's Word is not optional. And here, if you're an unbeliever, if you're a skeptic and a secret, man, we're so glad you're here. It's a safe place to, to, to be around and ask good questions. We believe as Christians, listen, we are crazy enough to believe that the Bible is God's Word. If I did not believe that, I'm packing up and going home. And, and let me just say, in all of my walking with Jesus, can I be really vulnerable with you? That is one of the hardest things for me with faith. It's one of the things that I doubt the most. Don't throw darts at me. I know I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to say that, right? I, I, I struggle to say, God, is this really your word? Really? Like, you've spoken? Like, you, you, you moved by your spirit through the hands of men throughout history to write exactly what you wanted us to know about you. Like, this is your word. And it's more sure, Peter would call it, than if God himself were to s- walk in this room, Jesus incarnate, and say "Say something to us. This is a more sure word of prophecy that we have. We believe that it is inspired by God. Literally, that word inspired, listen, means God breathed. Is the word of God. If this is just some religion, let's go home. Don't get up early tomorrow morning and read the Bible. If it's just a bunch of man's opinions, don't do it. It's a waste of time. Paul would say, if the resurrection is not true, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If this is not true, all of this is not worth it. It's hard, right? It's hard to follow Jesus. Let's be real. But listen, if God has spoken... You man, I just wish I could hear from God. And we believe that he, the Bible testifies of itself that this is the word. And if it's not, okay, well, you've got to settle that in your heart. But if you get it settled down deep in your soul that this is the word of God, it'll change everything. It changes everything. And if it's not God's word, then we're wasting our time. Here's a, I found this, um, this survey as I was studying this week. Um, it was very shocking. It was from the last uh, poll uh, from Life Away, Christian Research. But take it for what it means. This may not be completely accurate. Um, but I, from my experience in the church, I believe this is fair statistic. 50%, 56% of Americans say that they believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant. So everything I just said, they say, I believe that. 56% of Americans. Yet, when polled, only 19% say they read it on a regular basis. The majority of people say, I believe it's, the Bible's from God. A lot don't, but some do. A lot do. But out of that 56%, only 19 say, I, I read it consistently. And th- this confronts even me in my own pursuit of the Lord. So many times it is so hard for me to focus on God and to get in His Word. It's hard for me. It's work. And I'm going, but if I really believe that it's God's word, shouldn't it transform the way I approach this moment every week? Shouldn't it change the way I approach my interactions in the church? Shouldn't shouldn't I be so eager to open this up and to hear what God has to say to me? So let me just ask you, do you believe God's word is God's word? And I think for the most of us in this church, we say, man, I kind of doubt it. And I question it, you know, like everybody else. But, man, I do. I believe it's, the Bible's God's word. And then I, I want to ask you, well, what's your time like in it? This is not some legalistic, you read your Bible more. This is not what I'm trying to do. I'm just asking us to wrestle with this. If we say we believe true things about the Bible, and if that, that thought does not transform our lives, something's disconnected. And what all I'm asking us to do, and I'm asking the Spirit of God through the power of the Word of God today, is just connect whatever's missing down deep in our souls. Because something's missing. We all struggle with this, so why? Here's some common excuses that I'm borrowing from a pastor that I heard preach on a topic similar. Maybe this is you. I just want to read these. I just don't find it interesting. It's boring. Or, "I, I have good intentions, but I forget. I, okay, Derek, I try to read, I just don't understand it. You know, I'm talking about Manasseh and all these dudes, like, I just don't understand. I get frustrated, I just put it down. Or, I'm just too busy. You know, my schedule doesn't allow. I mean, you know, I have good attention, but I just go hard all day. I'm just too busy to get in the Word. Or, I've heard this one I already know everything there is to know in the Bible like the eternal God, like, you know, more than Him. It's not relevant to my life like i'm reading about people way back when but like it's not relevant to me if i read it i have to actually be confronted with my sin so i avoid it had someone downtown last week tell me that i'll just avoid it because i know if i read it i'm gonna be convicted it's honest thank you for that (laughs) god help us here the pastor will tell me everything i need to know you guys know that's not true (laughs) Or I think this is a lot of us. I just accept it. I believe it's God's word because you know it's just God's words. What I've always been told. And you treat God's word like you treat the terms and conditions on the iTunes or something that you buy. You ever seen those? You have to read all those agreements. Who's actually read the agreements? There might be one like OCD person. that's like I'm checking to make sure they're not. You know. But you read all of that list. Ain't nobody trying to read that. You go accept and you move on. Right. So many times it's the way we view God's word. It's like yeah, I'm not going to read all. The Old Testament stuff. It doesn't really matter. It's not really relevant. I'm just going to accept it. as <laughs> God's word. But really? How can you be so sure that it's God's word if you've never read it? It'd be like, I don't know, if I said I'd know something about the Twilight series, and praise God, I don't, okay? But like, like I could say, I can tell you I've heard it, and be like, oh, well, I haven't actually read the book. I've just, you know, saw all these teenage girls, and some dudes actually be freaking out about Twilight, and I say I know all about it, but if I've not been immersed in the story, true Twilight fans would be like, you do not know Twilight, okay? Like, you have not read the books. So why are we any different with God's Word? We say we believe it. But yet, Josiah, man, it's been lost. And I think for so many people in the church, the Bible's lost. All I'm wanting us to wrestle with, that should not be. If nothing else, for the integrity of our faith, do not believe in Christianity because I say so. Don't believe in Christianity because that's the way you were raised up. God is big enough for your questions. Get in there and wrestle. God's word is enough. It's enough. Do you believe that? Everything that we need in life is there. Have you ever thought about how God's word informs all of the stuff of your life, about your job and your calling and your relationships and sex and recreation and whatever else that you want to put into the category of life? God's word speaks to and informs. And if you build your life on anything other than him, it will fall will fall listen when jesus was tempted in the wilderness you guys remember what he used what did he use the word of god let me ask you a question what are you going to use when you're tempted what do you use your opinions of what's best or do you know the word of god you've hit it in your heart so deeply that you might not sin against god the stability of every part of your life is dependent on the place you give God's word. It is. Listen, the Bible's not just enough, it's clear. The Bible's clear. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I love this passage, I want to read it. For this commandment, the words are on the screen, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. You see what God's saying to you about his word? It's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who shall ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. and It's in your heart. So that, listen, you need to hear this. So that you can do it. I love God's word. He says it's not too hard for you. You can obey. You can understand it. Because God loves you that much. It's clear. And lastly, God's word is necessary. It's necessary. I wish I had time to chase this, but I don't. You do a study of the word revive. You Maybe look at the, of Josiah and the people of Judah. You call that a revival, right? You do a study of the word revive in the Scripture. And almost always, that word revive is linked to the Word of God. That if we're going to be stirred up and to really have joy and life and to do the mission that God's called us to in this world, and if we're really going to see lives transformed in the people that we love and in this city, if we're really going to overcome the sin that just is just entangling us, if we're going to overcome the doubts and the questions, we have to recover the Word of God have to it's lost in so many of our lives and by god and his grace he's saying just pull it out and read it and do what it says i've empowered you to be able to do this you will never listen church you will never live a fulfilled christian life apart from the word of god that's why he says that faith listen faith comes by hearing and hearing by god's word You say, I don't have faith. I'm I'm struggling to believe God in this area right now. I'm struggling. You say, where do I get faith? God says, you get faith by the Word. It will embolden you. It will embolden you. So listen, maybe the reason we cannot overcome sin, fight temptation, we have no joy, we have no direction in our life, we're constantly, listen, bored. I see this around us. Some of us are just bored. We're just existing. We're just lifeless. We have no joy, we have no purpose, we're just constantly frustrated. And we may blame it on the church, we may blame it on so many different people. Listen, the church is not without its faults. This is not a perfect church. But maybe, just maybe, the reason that we're so frustrated inside is because we have neglected the Word of God. So how will you respond? We can just say, I'm going to hear His voice, I'm going to harden my heart. Uh, You've not convinced me. I, don't, I have neglected the word, Derek, but I just, I just want to de- remain distracted by things that don't matter. I want to remain lazy and not pursue and do the work to understand. Or we can respond like our friend Josiah and do three things. I'll move these real quick. We're going to repent. We're going to turn and go a new direction. That's not an outdated word for the church. We need to repent. So confess your sin to God. If we've neglected him through his word, feel it deeply repent of it second renew just as josiah renewed this covenant that with god we need to do that so listen, what needs to be torn down in your life what needs to change what relationships are just toxic for you what's in your schedule if you're too busy for time with god all of us myself included we're too busy What needs to be torn down? Josiah's getting up and just tearing down everything he can. He's going to separate them from God. What needs to be torn down in our lives? What do you need to say no to? What what places do you need to stop going to? Listen, for me, I like to veg out and watch Netflix with the rest of them, okay? I'm a Netflix watcher. I can binge out and watch Netflix, but I'm telling you, after a certain time, I'm not saying don't watch Netflix because I'm not going to stop watching Netflix, you know, but but listen, after a certain time, I've got to turn it off. Last night was one of those. Cale's like, You've like been vegging on the couch. I fell asleep for like two hours, but it was like hours on Saturday afternoon. I was sleeping, just kind of watching this stupid show. And, and I'm telling you, it affected my mood. It affected the way I saw things. And then I spent a couple hours last night before I went to bed reading a good book that pointed me to the God's Word. And I'm telling you, I could feel my heart changing. I could feel my perspective changing. I'll be honest, when I got up off the couch, granted I was kind of sleepy and had popcorn all over me and it was a, it was a bad moment. Uh, but I was, I was dreading coming here. Tomorrow morning. I'm going, man, i got to preach tomorrow. Like, what's wrong with me? I've got to preach tomorrow? Like, this is one of the greatest privileges and the joy of my life. But I'm telling you, it affected me. So I'm not against Netflix, but I am if it gets to the point where it's robbing me from joy in God. So tear down whatever you've got to tear down. That's not legalism. It's love for God. And what needs to be added to your life? Listen, schedule time with Jesus. Schedule it. I mean, for me, I've got a, I've got it on my I calendar. It looks crazy every day. I've got an appointment for everything. Why don't I schedule time in the Word of God? Mark it out of your schedule. Set your alarm. Go to bed early. I don't care what it looks like. Just do it. Do something. Get a routine. Pursue help. Get a study Bible. You say, I can't understand it. You know, there's, there is a Bible that has the Bible. And under here, somebody that's a lot smarter than any of us that explains it to you. That's awesome. Get a study Bible. Get commentaries. Listen to sermons. When I'm driving down the road, this is not because I'm super spiritual, because I'm not. It's because my heart will stray from God. I just listen to podcasts to and from meetings. I've got long drives, living out the city, working gray, and you know, I'm back and forth a lot. I just listen to sermons. You say, well, that sounds really boring. You know, but like, for me, I've, I've just got to saturate my mind with God's word. Get post-it notes and write scriptures out. Put them on your mirror. Put them on your steering wheel of your car. So when you're sitting at a red light or you're in traffic in gray because it's a mess, like, Just dwell on the word of God. Do whatever you've got to take that stirs your affections for Jesus and to pursue God's word. And lastly, remember. Remember. Oh, man, I'm running behind. Listen, the Bible is about Jesus. Just as Josiah restored the Passover, guys, listen, The Passover now, as we do communion, it's kind of the same principle. We remember the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. Remember Jesus. And so if you see reading the Bible, listen, this this absolutely changed my life a few years ago when someone told me this. If you read the Bible and stop reading it just as a bunch of facts, and you look for Jesus in every story, every story has been said that it whispers his name. Every story. Will you find him? And when you see that, then time in the Word becomes an appointment with God and not a drudgery and a study. That every page is about Jesus. So listen, the Bible is ultimately about Jesus and what he has done for us, not us and what we are to do for him. And listen, when you see that the Bible is all about, you see, it's all about him and every do for us is in the context of what has been done in Jesus. It will absolutely transform the way you see God's Word. That's about Jesus from cover to cover. And it's communion with Him. He makes Himself known. He is the living Word of the written Word. Of the written Word. So there's a video uh, that we want to show to you. Because before we show it to you, I want to set up um, something this morning. Um, We are committed to making disciples at this church To help you follow Jesus. And it's rooted in your place in the word. So you pursue God on your own. You can do that. You can get help with that. Come talk to me about what it means to study the Bible if you've got questions. But listen, it's not just about you and God. It's about you and a community. It's studying God's word and pursuing truth together. And so the way we do that at this church, listen, this is going to sound like a sales pitch. And I'm I'm fighting so hard to not make it this. This is not to plug you into programs and ministry. That's not what we're trying to do. But for your joy in Jesus. We have things called study groups and life groups. Study groups is a teacher for an hour that's going to expound the word of God. Teach the word. It's a Bible study. Life groups are relationships and conversations that are centered around the Bible, and that's your community and your fellowship. We have those groups that are beginning next week, the study groups are, and they're life groups that are literally spread all throughout our city. Are you in one? And that's not just to pursue the Bible. You say, I can do that on my own. Yeah, you can. But there's clear commands of Scripture to do so in community. But then even not just that, but studying God's Word around people. Listen, that you call your family at this church. So get connected. You're always going to feel like these people are strangers if you're not walking through life together. So get into a life group. Here on the study group, let me just really briefly set this up. Um, we're so excited. Beginning next Sunday, we're taking a next step of programs, if you want to call it that, that we offer on Sunday mornings. So right now it's just the kind of 11 o'clock. We're here and we worship and then we have life groups that spread out. But I'm really excited. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to have kids ministry. So listen, at 9 930, 9.30 a.m., we're going to begin to have kids ministry. So preschool, child care, elementary groups, which we have going on right now, by the way, on the other side of that wall. but That's going to be at 9.30. And then I'm so excited. I better hear a hoop and a holler for this. We're finally starting a study group for middle school and high school students at this campus. I'm so excited for that. That is a blessing for us because God's blessed us with so many of you who have come with middle school and high school students. And so next week, God's raised up leadership within our church here uh, to lead that time. So 9.30 to be in that very back room. Uh, And then at 9.30 in here, we're going to have a study group on marriage for all the rest of us to be able to understand what God's Word says, led by the Durhams and the Kitts. Awesome families in our church to study God's Word. So there's literally something for every age group at the 9.30 hour. Then at 11 o'clock, we're coming in, and we're going to be worshiping God like this, and preschool groups will be going on, and all the elementary and students and everyone else will be in here to worship God together. That is huge for our church. This campus in particular, we're taking a next step. College ministry, uh, Some of you, I see some of you students are back. They'll be rolling in over the next couple of weeks. We're excited to have them back. Jeremy Bledsoe is leading our college ministry on Tuesday nights. There are life groups, college life groups that meet here. Uh, and then there'll be a study group after on Ephesians. So he's just going to bring the word. Uh, once a month, there'll be a worship gathering for college students here. So our college ministry is about to get up and running again uh, for this semester, and it's booming. On Wednesday night, there's a ton of offerings back at the Gray Campus with Awana and Wired for younger kids. The point. You said, whoa, that's like a fire hydrant. I warned you earlier. You have no excuse. Get in. Jump into what God is doing here. And we believe that's for not just this generation, but um, not just for us as adults, but for our whole generation. So if you'll cue that video, Ivy, that I told you 10 minutes ago to show, <coughs> um, We'll watch this video from Pastor Paul. Watch this video. Love God's Word. Like, that's, that's one of the goals of my life, is that if I can preach in such a way that makes you hunger for the Bible, like I've done my job. It's one of the things. If I lay down my life one day when I die, and I've been faithful to preach the Word and see you love the Bible, I've lived my life for something that matters. So this is more than just programs for us. We are convinced that he's worth everything. We want to see you have joy in him. So don't see these as another thing you've got to come to. We really are asking that God would do something special in our church. That lives would be changed for his glory and for your joy. And so we work hard to offer these things. But listen, I I know programs don't save anybody. There's nothing wowing about a life group. Some of you guys have tried life groups and you've, walked away from a life group because you didn't get wowed on the first night and there's nothing wowing about it i'm boring sometimes when i preach you know like it's not just all this just something's going to just amaze you but i'm asking to work hard fight to know god and do so in community with this church and so there's uh brochures around you that have some offerings of that of our of our study groups uh life groups there's a card in there that says next gen uh, I, I want to sign me up for Parent Connect. If you are a parent and you do not come on Wednesday night, please come to hear what the discipleship strategy of our church is uh, for the next generation. Please make it a point to be there. If you serve in our next gym ministries, you need to be there. Wednesday night at 630 at the Gray Campus at the Outpost. But sign up. Spend this next few minutes. We're going to sing this song over you. Uh, sing it out from your seat. You can sit there. But listen. Let this be a time of response to, in your seat right now, say, sign me up for a life group. Sign me up for a study group. I want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to get baptized this afternoon at the park. Derek, I don't even know what my next step is. I'm just confused. I need to talk to somebody. Write that in. I'm willing to serve in our next-gen ministry so that parents can come in here and hear God's Word. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Sign me up for whatever. I'm ready to take the next step. Uh, of being a part of this church and this faith family, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God.